Hi, this is Ben with the second episode of me reviewing all books called Prisoner's Dilemma. So as I mentioned in part one, I'm reviewing all 26 books called Prisoner's Dilemma, or some minor variant thereof. And today in part two, I'll be reviewing the second longest book, which is a children's book, and the second shortest book, which is a book that kind of makes me think the author might actually be insane. As before, the format will be that I'll kind of first do a kind of generic review of the book without providing any spoilers. And then once I've done that, I'll focus more on the prisoner's dilemma aspect um, to kind of show like what the prisoner's dilemma of the book's title is. And here there might be some spoilers. So the hope is, um, as I mentioned in part one, the hope is that I can learn maybe something new about the prisoner's dilemma, some new way of looking at it. Something, you know, kind of new that the authors might bring to it that, as a scientist, I wouldn't have thought of or might not have read of in the scientific articles that I read. The first book I'll start with today is Trenton Lee Stewart's children's book, The Mysterious Benedict Society and the Prisoner's Dilemma. So The Mysterious Benedict Society and the Prisoner's Dilemma is the, I believe, third book in a series in like the same series of children's books um, with the kind of same characters, which made it a slight problem sometimes to read because, uh, you know, imagine you're the first Harry Potter book you read is the third, then you might be confused at several points. Who exactly Snape is? What exactly the deal is with him? You kind of get what's going on, but not, it felt like sometimes, you know, I, I was just missing out some crucial information here now. So there is still some exposition in this book explaining some aspects of the characters or some things that happened but it seems to me that that's kind of more reminder of the stuff that happened previously rather than properly kind of retelling what's going on yeah so as i said there were just a few points where i felt like i kind of lacked context for some of the things that were going on so my review is probably going to be slightly more negative of this book than it had been if I'd read the first two books, just simply because there were quite a few times when I was slightly confused by what was exactly going on. Uh, but having said that, I mean, it is an enjoyable book. It's a fun book. I mean, I call it a children's book, but I think comparing it to Harry Potter in that sense kind of makes sense because I think the age range is roughly similar. So when we're talking children's book, we're not talking about a picture book that's, you know, 20 pages for kids who are like three years old or something. We're talking about a 400-page book that, uh, you know, looks like a regular paperback and basically has no pictures in it. It's pretty much a standard. I don't know what it says on the book who this is supposed to be for, but I guess I'm assuming that with... Yeah, I can't find it. But I'm assuming that for most, for most children's books, the books are addressed at children of the age of the characters in the book. And here the children are, I think, 10 11 12 something like that with one exception so yeah i'm assuming this is a book for uh let's say almost teenagers so um to maybe say something a bit more of the book so the the mysterious benedict society uh consists of the four main characters of the book which are four children called i'm not sure how to say this actually rainy rainy um i'll just call him rainy rainy kate sticky and constance contraire and so again, this is the part where I'm slightly confused because I don't know everything. So somehow these children live together in a big house. There's also 
Mr. Benedict, after whom the Mysterious Society, I'm assuming, is named. And there's a few more adults who kind of protect the children because somehow people want to steal them. I'm, I, yeah, I don't exactly know what's going on here. I think all four children are orphans and they were adopted by the people who live in the house. Yeah, as I said, this is especially this kind of part is the stuff I'm assuming that's all explained in books one and two, but that's just slightly confusing now. Anyway, so we have these four main kids and they kind of, and I guess we kind of follow them around whatever adventure happens. Briefly about the kids. So we have Rainy, who's described as the average boy. He's very average. He doesn't have really any particularly outstanding skills, abilities or correct characteristics. Um, I think at some point he's literally described as the average boy with average brown hair, with average this and average that. So I'm assuming he's kind of the character that the reader would associate with, maybe, I guess, kind of like the, the normal person in unusual environments kind of thing. Um, maybe a kind of child version of what Tom Hanks often plays. Anyway, so then there's Kate, who is a kind of very optimistic and kind of lets do this and always take, sees the positive side and thing. She's very athletic and the fastest and of all of them. And she's also very good with kind of mechanics, let's say. So she always carries this buckets around with her where there's lots of tools in it that she can use whenever they might come handy in some sort of situation. There's Then there's Sticky, whose real name I believe is George. I hope I'm getting that right. I don't know why it's called Sticky. And he's kind of the shy, introverted, super smart kid who reads all the time so he basically knows almost anything and that's kind of his special thing that comes in handy occasionally and then the fourth of these children is constance contraire or contraire who i think is by far the most interesting and fun character of all of them because she's a i believe four-year-old who is incredibly grumpy and annoyed all the time and it's just fun I mean, she's really, I think without her, the book might have been a bit dull uh, because all the other three kids are kind of, I have to admit, slightly boring. But Constance kind of adds something fresh to the thing. And I always enjoyed reading about her because she's just so, um, I mean, she's not always in a bad mood, but it's, yeah, she's in a, in a bad mood a lot and it's pretty funny most of the time. Yeah. So these four kind of kids live together in this house and yeah, don't ask me why exactly. Anyway, so then there's, I guess, of the other main characters, there's two more, which is Nicholas Benedict, who kind of is head of the house. Um, he's narcoleptic, um, which is a random choice, but I guess why not? And then the final kind of main character, who's not really in the book until the very end, is, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Le Drop the Curtain. Um, so I guess it's Le and then Drop The don't ask me why. Drop the curtain. It's Mr. Curtain. Um, I don't know why he's called Le Drop the Curtain. And another thing I don't know is why he has that name, because he's the evil twin of Nicholas Benedict, but they have completely different names. And for some reason, Le Drop the Curtain is an evil man. I don't know why, but he is. And the main thing, and now we're getting to the plot of this book, is that he developed a device called the Whisperer. And kind of fitting almost for the for the uh, for kind of this podcast is that the whisperer is actually kind of around neuroscience and psychology because the whisperer can extract memories and can erase memories so basically it's this kind of device that uh, someone has to use such as mr curtain 
uh, it's kind of a chair you sit in and then you put this like thing over your head um, a bit like at the hairdressers um, those those huge things and then you have to like focus on someone or something like that and then you can extract their memories and if you choose so I believe you can also erase them and that's kind of and he uses this this is kind of his evil device that he uses to extract information from people so yeah so that's that's the whisperer and for some reason I'm not sure why Mr. Benedict has it in his house I guess they're supposed to like take care of it or something like that and make sure that Mr. Curtin doesn't get it and do his evil things with it I think that's kind of the idea and then obviously Mr. Curtin is trying to do everything to get it back because he developed it anyway so the the, the first half of this book is kind of slightly all over it's it's not super focused and i wasn't entirely sure entirely clear where this was going but then basically what happens at the like third or halfway point is that constance contraire goes missing and uh, then there's a power outage and then some of mr Curtin's helpers come onto this to this building and try and invade it basically to steal the whisperer and from there on, then then it, then it becomes like a very straightforward kind of adventure story of them trying to find Constance and then all other sorts of stuff that I'm not going to spoil. So that's kind of the basic description of the book um, of kind of what happens and who the people involved are. I think it's... Uh, I enjoyed reading this. It was fine. Um, as I said, I think it would have been more fun if I had known exactly who the people were. Maybe I should have looked that up before. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I think this is probably a fun book. It has a huge amount of very positive reviews on Amazon. So it seems like kids love it. Um, and I can certainly see why. So overall, I think, yeah, if you have a child on that age, maybe give the Mysterious Benedict Society by Trenton Lee Stewart uh, a read. Maybe start with book one and up with book three. And yeah, they might like it. Anyway, getting to the prisoner cinema aspect. So this is, of course, the Mysterious Benedict Society and the Prisoner's Dilemma. So we need to talk about the Prisoner's Dilemma in this book. So the fun thing is that this book actually offers a very good description of the Prisoner's Dilemma. And it's actually right in the beginning. Uh, so the very first chapter is called The Prisoner's Dilemma. And it starts with the four kids having to figure out the Prisoner's Dilemma. So basically, so in this, you know... They live in this house, but they also get lessons from the adults who teach them all sorts of stuff. It's not really like school curriculum stuff exactly, but yeah, maybe a bit more applied, let's say. So anyway, so two of the kids were put in separate rooms. So uh, uh, Rainy, who I guess is kind of the main character, and Constance together, and then Kate and Sticky. So they have, as part of their kind of schooling, they're doing this game. And so they're in these separate rooms, and I guess I'll just read parts of it. So here's from page three. The children's predicament was based, Rhonda had told them, Rhonda's one of the parents, on an intellectual game called The Prisoner's Dilemma. Sticky, naturally, had read all about it, and at Rhonda's prompting, he had explained the premise to his friends. There are thousands of variations, Sticky had said, and no doubt he knew them all, but often set up like this. Two criminals are arrested, but the police lack evidence for a major conviction, so they put the prisoners in separate rooms and offer each one the same deal. If one prisoner betrays his friend and testifies against him, while the other prisoner remains silent, the traitor goes free and his partner receives a 10-year prison sentence. So much for sticking together, Kate had observed. Well, they can stick together, right? They can both remain silent, but if they do that, then both are sentenced to six months in jail for a minor charge. So both get punished, although it's a relatively light punishment considering the alternatives. 
And what if each one betrays the other? Rainier asked. Then they both receive a five-year sentence. Not good, obviously, but much better than ten. So the dilemma is that each prisoner must choose to betray the other one or remain silent without knowing what the other one's going to do. So that's kind of the situation, and uh, or rather, that's the his explanation of the prison's dilemma. And basically, what in chapter one they do is that these two pairs of kids are put in separate rooms, and they have to decide the same. Just in this case, they're not put to prison, but they, it's deciding over different amounts of kitchen duty. Where in this case, being betrayed by the others means something like, um, I think it's like two weeks of kitchen duty every week, and exploiting the others means no kitchen duty, something like that. And yeah, so in the first kind of part, they have to choose between these two options. As you, so again, this is the part I think that would have been funnier if you'd known who Constance Contraire was, because obviously she says they should choose to betray the others, because that's exactly the kind of person she is. But Rainy is a kind of really nice guy, very thoughtful. So yes, they really think it out. Anyway, so then I'm not going to say exactly how this pans out and what their decision is and how they solve this particular situation. You might wonder, why is this a part here? Why is this in the book? Why why does the school instruct the people? And in the second chapter, Mr. Benedict explains what's going on. The point of the exercise, said Mr. Benedict, the corners of his mouth twitching, was more philosophical than strategic, you see. More than anything, it was meant to be an examination of the consequences of one's own actions on others. Sticky, I'm sure, could recite the aims of the original prison dilemma, but Ronja and I thought to adapt the game for our own purposes. So that's the... Initial prisoner's dilemma, it is a very explicit retelling of the game theoretic prisoner's dilemma. But then, and so here's uh, here's some potential spoilers. Uh, this is fairly far in the book because there is a second prisoner's dilemma in this book. It's not as literal as the first one, but I think um, the first one kind of set up the situation and the characters to think about this because basically the four of them get captured by uh, Mr. Curtin's people and then they try to and they're basically like driven away and they don't know where they are and they're put in this this room and they, don't, yeah, they have no idea where they are but they realize that they might be able to escape problem is though that kate as i said is the most athletic and fit of the of the four and basically only she can try to escape so at first she doesn't want to escape you know try to escape if only her can escape but the others convinced and saying like hey if you escape maybe you can tell the others where we are and then they can rescue us so she kind of begrudgingly says okay i'll try it so she tries to escape and then uh you know a few minutes later she's uh, thrown back into the room by one of the guards who managed to find her and catch her and then as punishment they punish one of the other kids but the thing is so then, you know, they're back in the room and she feels very guilty for having now hurt one of her friends. But the interesting thing is the people think that they that she escaped through the front door, that maybe someone left the door unlocked, rather than they'd, they'd found this, like, behind a book's shelf, there was this window that was partly left open that they could break open, that kind of thing. So they let them in there again, and there's the opportunity to escape again. But first they figure out, well, where are we actually? And it turns out that they are in an old abandoned prison. So they are, in some sense, prisoners. And then, basically, there's the question again, is she going to try to escape again? And in this case, now she says, no, I don't, even if I could escape, 
I don't want to harm you people again. I don't want to risk kind of me getting caught and then one of you getting hurt just so I can escape. That's the second prisoner cinema. I think it's, as I said, it's a different kind of prisoner cinema. It's not, you know, it's not really like the prisoner cinema in a kind of narrow sense. But I think it is, uh, it does kind of exemplify this idea that you have to decide between your own own welfare and other people's welfare and kind of add all of this up into one big mix. But in a way, it's just kind of moral decision making that affects you and other people. But anyway, so those are the two prisoner cinemas in this book. Yeah, in some sense, I'm not sure I really like learned anything new about the prisoner cinema from this book per se. I think it's interesting that they, or that he, Trent and Lee Stewart, um, introduces, I don't know, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, or however old these kids are, to the prisoner cinema and actually explains it the way you might see it written almost in a textbook. You know, the passage I read earlier, I think, is easy to understand but it's not dumbed down in any sense it's pretty much literally the first definition that i read it's it's pretty much what you might read on wikipedia so i think it's pretty cool that like this this idea is introduced and that kids that early kind of have to think about like oh yeah how do you solve the situation when you have to do something might harm you might hurt the other person you're not sure what the other person's going to do um so i think that's it's pretty cool that you know, a kid's book as popular as this one seems to be manages to or make kids think about these kind of things. So that's the book, The Mysterious Benedict Society and the Prisoner's Dilemma by Trenton Lee Stewart. I think, as I said earlier, it was a fun book, but it probably would have been more fun if I'd actually like known what was going on. Um, anyway, if you if this does sound vaguely interesting, there is apparently a TV series that uh, was made about this. I don't know whether this book per se features in it, um, but yeah, it might be good to watch like the first one or two episodes and then read this book as kind of background. But yeah, so that's the first book. The second book is called Prisoner's Dilemma by, and I don't know really how to pronounce her first name, Alexa, Alexa. I'm going to pronounce it Alexa. Um, Alexa Yardley. It's I L E X A. I hope I'm not pronouncing that incorrectly. Anyway, so this book by Alexa Yardley was a bit of a mystery. So I have this kind of, you know, I made a list of all the books to kind of match them according to length, and I also wrote down kind of just for me kind of what genre it is. So whether it's fiction, it's maybe a children's book, it's a scientific book, it's a philosophical book, whatever. And this one I had no idea because basically on the Amazon page there was no real description there was no description of this book. It just said Prison Salema and it has on the front cover it just says name and author. And then there's a kind of picture of a uh I hope I'm getting this right, a kind of Roman uh like a big Roman building with columns shot from the bottom and it's basically a, a it doesn't really tell you anything about what's the, what the book is going to be about. It's a very kind of generic image on the front cover. Um, and it's, as I said, this is the second shortest book. So whilst the other books that I just talked about was 400 pages long, this is only 36, 34 pages long, something like that. So yeah, it was very mysterious. It's a very short book by an author I don't know with no description. Um, I had no idea what to expect. But even though I had no expectation, I was surprised when I started reading this. Because, as I said earlier, um, I think she might be slightly insane. 
And I'd like to clarify that I'm not saying that to make fun of her or to exaggerate anything or I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that. But this is probably the least coherent text I've read in my entire life. Um, I think the, the best way I can summarize what it's like to read this and to try and summarize or talk about it is from an Amazon review of another of her books that I found. Um, so I've forgotten what, what book this was. But on the German Amazon of one of her other books, um, someone commented in a one-star review, the author mixes in a pseudoscientific way the most different topics under a so-called circular theory, which can only be called nonsense. An evaluation in the actual sense can therefore not be done by me, since an evaluation presupposes a content or sense with which one can critically deal. But this circular theory, alone the use of the term theory for this linguistic insanity is already annoying, can only be interpreted as nonsense or parody. Uh, so that's one review. Um, and then for another book of hers that has two rating or two reviews, the first is called, sadly, to, title is sadly to say, pointless word salad was hoping for more. And then not about any concepts implied in title, rambling prose about nothing. And the second uh, review of that same book is called Extra Bad New Age Rubbish! Exclamation point. This has nothing to do with Nota Young or Einstein. Uh, the book is called Nota Young and Einstein. Okay. Uh, so this is nothing to do with Nota Young and Einstein. It is rambling gibberish. It is not even as good as the usual utter rubbish that is New Age stuff. I would say the author does not know what she's talking about, except she's not talking about anything. She's just babbling utter rubbish. If you buy this, you will be astounded that anybody bothered to have this printed. Amazon should take stuff like this off their websites. This does not make as much sense as the burblings of an incoherent drunk on LSD. This is new age of the stupidest type I've ever seen. Uh, I've seen. Do not touch it with a barge pole. Well, I paid 10 euros for my book, so... There's that. Um, but yeah, so as with all these books, I went into it not knowing anything about the book. I didn't read uh, what the books were about. I just kind of went by title and bought them. So I really didn't know what to expect with this one. But the thing is, uh, as the other said, it's you, you can't really, you can almost not talk about it because you need something to, there has to be some sort of content that you can talk about. But in this case, it's just a bunch of words that don't really make sense. I mean, I'll just pick a random sentence. Okay, so here's a paragraph. Thus, I just opened it on page 17 by just randomly opening the book. Thus, conservation of the circle provides the basis for movement and relativity, uncertainty and complementarity, open parenthesis, gravity and the standard model, close parenthesis, full stop. Articulation, comma, any system, full stop. Now, if you think, okay, I opened it in the middle of the text, you know, maybe open it at the beginning of the text because then it's a bit more coherent and maybe more is explained. Here's the first sentence. Between any X and or Y, open parenthesis, X and X, X and X uh, dash, close parenthesis, a mandatory circle produces a zero and a one, open parenthesis, circumference and diameter, close parenthesis, Full stop. This gives us the basis for a unit, open parenthesis, physical, comma, symbolic, close parenthesis, because two units are responsible, open parenthesis, and necessary, close parenthesis, for one. That's the opening of the book. 
and from there on it just gets less coherent um so that's kind of how i started off reading this book so then i thought at some point okay again i didn't know about any of the other reviews i didn't know anything about this person other than this is clearly a self-published book which you know i've read some good self-published books so this is not something i mind but yeah so i thought okay maybe this is something mathematical that i just don't get you know i, I haven't studied mathematics i mean i've done some but you know i haven't done have a degree in mathematics you know there's like some advanced abstract mathematics that can sound like gibberish to anyone so i thought well maybe maybe i just don't get it right like i mean I have spent like some time trying to understand this and I still have no idea what she's trying to say. But I thought, okay, maybe I just don't know what's going on. And I actually considered, I have some friends who studied physics, asking them like whether there's anything to this. But then I kind of looked around the internet and it was very clear very quickly that I didn't need to ask them about this. And this kind of led me into this the very weird world of Alexa Yardley and her circular theory. So again, I can't really describe the book because there's nothing in it. It's just gibberish. And and at this point, I was just... There's a certain fascination, I guess, when you see something that you just don't understand. And I thought, okay, maybe... Like, I'm not even trying to understand the book. I'm just trying to understand, like, what's she trying to do? Or, like, what what does she think this does? Because when you read the book, it's not even clear what it's supposed to do, really. It just describes things. Well, I, just, yeah, I don't know. Describes things is, again, a very generous description. And again, uh, you know, so she's done this circular theory thing. And I haven't read that. So, you know, maybe I'm just jumping in in the middle here. Um, you know, a bit like the Mystery Hispanic Society and the Prisoner's Dilemma. I didn't read the previous one, so maybe it's slightly confusing. But there are some sentences that you, when you read them, you know that the person, um, that, yeah, you probably shouldn't hope too much from them. And so what I found is, so uh, she, of course, talks about quantum theory and relativity and all sorts of keywords. And of, almost to no surprise to me, she, I mean, technically, this is probably not that easy. She created a, a, a cryptocurrency token, the TCT token, um, on the, minted on the block, uh, Ethereum blockchain. Uh, which is almost impressive. But anyway, so there's a, there's a description here that's also in one of her uh, essays. And this says, this token explains how nature tokenizes all of us. It explains mathematics, physics, philosophy, and psychology. Full stop. Also finance, biology, and technology. So I still don't really know what this circular theory is, but apparently it explains basically everything. And quite frankly, if someone tries to explain everything... <sighs> Yeah, let's just say that's probably not going to work, is it? It's just a comically written, I think, this, this way of saying like it explains mathematics, physics, philosophy, and psychology. Also, finance, biology, and technology. I have to admit, this is one of the most, one of the bizarrest things I've seen in a long time. Um, because, and this is where it gets, this is where it kind of get, it gets slightly weird. Because, okay, you have someone who wrote this book and who... Uh, did this like token thing like okay fair enough but she has a website which is actually fair it looks fairly professional um i guess it's not that difficult to make a professional website but this wasn't like thrown up in two minutes and she on medium she writes articles quite a few and this is kind of the the part that made me feel slightly sad for her because on twitter she has three thousand eight hundred twelve tweets 
about this kind of stuff. You know, she really focuses on this stuff. And she's tweeted 3,812 tweets. And she has 41 followers. So... It seems like she's basically... She thinks she's found the key to the universe or something like that. And she keeps shouting about it. And no one's really paying attention. Um... She apparently she's retired now, and before that she was a technologist and financial professional. Apparently she has an MBA. Uh, it says MBA finance, NYU Stern, MS education, SUNY. So she seems to have been educated, you know, have an education and all these kind of things. But yeah, as I said, now it seems more like she's she thinks she's onto something that to pretty much anyone who reads it is obviously incoherent ramblings but she just keeps i mean she publishes book after book she has so many books on amazon about this i mean this year three books and you know most of them have so there are some there are the uk there is the occasional five star rating by people say it's amazing but a lot of the books also just have one star rating by people saying what on earth is this this makes zero sense so uh, I guess uh, this is already longer than it really needs to be. I guess as I, I just like to repeat what I said earlier, I'm really not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to shit on her or anything. But the the weird thing is that, you know, I showed this to some people at work, again, partly to make sure that I'm not missing anything and partly to just go like, have you guys ever seen anything like this? You know, as I said, I paid nine euros, 70, 60 something, whatever. And one of my colleagues said, yeah, I think you might be financing some mental health problems here. Um, because I guess I financially supported whatever she's doing right now. And I mean, I don't know, maybe she's doing perfectly fine and she's just doing this thing occasionally and uh, just pumps out a book every once in a while and, and an article. Um, it's it's difficult for me to tell whether this is just a first draft that she just, you know, writes in 10 minutes or whether she actually thinks about this for like days on end. But yeah, I think as I said earlier, I, I when I say I think she might be insane, there there are some parts here when you read this and you think, is this person kind of losing is this person losing touch with reality? On some level the answer I think is no, because I mean she's you know, she's publishing all these books. Like this is work. She's clearly capable of maintaining all this stuff. She's She's had this. She has a blog or the website, the books. She's publishing all this stuff, um, so she's clearly like able to do stuff. But when you read some of these things, and when she writes that this is this explains basically everything. Yeah, at some point I just did wonder like how how is her uh, relationship to reality, and how does that differ from other people's? Because. <laughs> Yeah, like the one thing I really tried to find out when I looked up stuff about her online is like, how can someone publish this and think that there's something to this? I mean, there's, I'm just flipping through this and there's just so many sentences that are so bizarre. The way it's written is bizarre. I mean, they are proper sentences. You have to give her that. But then it's, it's as if you like just randomly choose nouns from a physics and maths book and then put them into random sentences and then add lots of parentheses of all sorts of stuff. I mean, at some point you do start to see some sort of patterns coming in here, but yeah, I mean, 
page 25 has the beautiful equation pi equals 0 equals 1 equals 2 equals infinity. I forgot, I haven't talked about the prisoner's dilemma, um, which is after all the title of this book. So, why is it called the prisoner's dilemma? Now, as you might already guess, I have no idea. Um, the prisoner's dilemma is mentioned in this, and I will read the first time the word or the term prisoner's dilemma appears outside of the title. So, this is from page 11. Thus, conservation of the circle reality begins and ends with the number two. The number two, basic relativity and uncertainty, is the basis for everything. Therefore, an asset always equals a liability, and therefore, vice versa. Prisoner's dilemma. So that's the first time the word appears. I don't know what this, any of this means. I have no clue, and I don't know how this relates to the prisoner's dilemma. Then it appears uh, again, I believe, on page 19. The paragraph reads, it's just one sentence, the conservation of a circle produces, then, a human open parenthesis, a unit, comma, any system, close parenthesis, prisoner, full stop, dilemma, full stop. Again, don't ask me what any of that means. And then, finally, this is from the, I'll just read the last page. Conservation of the circle, open parenthesis, individual and group, close parenthesis, open parenthesis, zero and one, close parenthesis, open parenthesis, relativity in general, close parenthesis, is the basis for everything. Open parenthesis, abstract and concrete, close parenthesis. Open parenthesis, hidden and showing, close parenthesis. Thus, universal relativity articulates a circular reality, open parenthesis, and vice versa, close parenthesis, meaning, full stop, x is y, open parenthesis, and vice versa, close parenthesis, full stop. Thus, zero is one, open parenthesis, and vice versa, close parenthesis, full stop. This is the prisoner's dilemma. So I don't know when the next one exactly is going to come out. Um, I mean, I'll have interviews in the meantime and other sorts of stuff. Um, so I don't know when the next Prison Salama description is going to come out. But I know that the next one is going to be another children's book, uh, only 38 pages long, by someone called Phillips. And one of the original three books called Prison Salama that I owned, namely Prison Salama by Richard Powers. So yeah, see you then.